This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, Payne and Pendergast with you. Um... Cynthia Freeland, she she uh, makes good content on NFL.com. I would say she's especially if you like numbers. Uh, she's sort of their numbers guru on um, on NFL.com, and she does a, an article at the end of each year where she looks at the units around the NFL that were the biggest overachievers based on preseason expectations, preseason um, win share rankings. Okay. So how, you know, it's win share. It's just a you know measure of how good certain units are. How much do they contribute to winning? Um, units, overperforming units, like the Detroit Lions offense, which was forecasted to be 14th and was fourth in the league. Units like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers passing offense, starring Baker Mayfield, champion of the precision passing drill at the Pro Bowl games. They were slated to be 26th before the season. They finished middle of the pack, 14th. Big overachievement going on there, Seth. Um, for the Houston Texans, this is the first time this has ever happened in the history of her doing this sort of thing. She usually isolates a position group or a side of the ball. She's never honored a whole team before. She's honoring the Houston Texans. The entire team was slated to oh, be really? 29th oh. according to win share rankings before the season. Yeah. And they finished a, um, a somewhat shocking for some people, 11th in win share ranking at the end of the year, the 11th best team. That's basically. interesting. That's right about where they were in a lot of the power rankings at the end they of the were, year. They were, yeah. Like they were right around 11th or so. Yep. So, uh, like, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm a little bit insulted on behalf of the special teams unit. If you're going to say the entire team, like, okay. I'm, I'm guessing the special teams, I, 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 the special teams was probably projected to be pretty high, and they finished pretty high. So, uh, you know what, Cynthia? I reject, I reject your first time ever doing the entire team. You should have done the offense and the defense and left the special teams out of it, okay? Uh, they didn't overachieve. They, they uh, achieved just like they expected to achieve. Okay, all right. Damn it. Uh, Cynthia, I'm sick of, sick of this disrespect. On behalf of Frank Ross and yeah. John Week signing his new deal, yeah. Um, this is um, – there's some good stuff in here if you're looking to get excited as a Texan fan or looking – some of the stuff you already know as a Texan fan, but it's fun to read because – this is the first January and February in a long time where we've been able to read fun, cool stuff about a team that's going to be good next year. Yeah. C.J. Stroud, uh, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, 142.8% passer rating on passes that traveled 20-plus yards through the air. Yeah. That's incredible. Dude. A 142.8 passer rating on deep balls. On deep balls, right? Like that's a, like usually, usually you're doing awesome if you just complete like 40 percent of those. And CJ was just was dealing on on deep balls. It was. Um, I think that's the one thing you got to remind yourself when you get frustrated with the way the Texans were running the ball, and that it seemed like Bobby Slowick was just way too committed to the run at times. Is that? You, you can't brag about that deep ball stat if you don't all also accept that running the ball consistently was part of it. You've got to set up, even though it's not working, it still helps set up the deep, even though the run's not working, it does work to set up the deep balls. And and that made a big difference for, for CJ. Yep. Um, she also says uh, that Will Anderson mentions him here. Wildly impressive stuff from CJ. He was complimented by a defense that includes strong candidate for defensive rookie of the year, Will Anderson. Oh, that's right. We get the awards this this coming week. Looking and Andre Johnson possible Hall of Fame this week. Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud about how excited I am for next week. They do the NFL awards usually on Saturday, the night before the Super Bowl. Is it Saturday? Is it, is it is it Thursday? I thought it was Thursday. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. no, it's definitely Thursday because Casario's flying in for it on Thursday. 
okay. It's Thursday, yeah. Yeah, so that's when it'll all get announced. Casario's flying in for it? He is. Yep, he is. He's going to come on with us next okay. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. why. Okay, wait, why is he flying in, though? Because oh. the, to support the many Texans who are nominated okay. for the awards. Okay. Yeah, I mean, right. CJ, Will, D'Amico, and Bobby Slowick are all nominees and okay. finalists. So, I didn't know if they also I, – I thought I was just wondering if maybe the executive, executive of the year was announced that night, too, but I don't, I don't think question. it is. It's a good question. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it is either. I don't know. Maybe it is. I have no idea. Either way, I think he, he's – you know, I think he's in and out just in one day, but yeah. Yeah. I guess you know where I am with this is uh, like this is where this is a portion of the season off season, and by that I mean from now until September when I I worry that okay, sometimes you you get a little too comfortable and you anticipate you you look at overachieving like already there, and like I don't I I don't think D'Amico is thinking that way I don't think Nick is thinking that way no but as a fan yep. I, like I I have to remind myself all right yeah overachieving does not mean already there. And that, okay, oh, you finished in this ranking 11th. And that's way better than people thought. But it doesn't, momentum doesn't carry you on up into the top, just like it is with the offense. You know, the offense made a boatload of progress. CJ had a very promising year. But as a total, the sum total of the offense still has work to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very good sign. But I'm looking at, you know, I mean, look at like what's going on with Tampa right now, where they might try to re sign, they might try to re sign Baker Mayfield. The scary thing about that, if you're a Bucks fan, is that, all right, they were expected to finish 26th in this ranking based on the data. They ended up finishing 14th in win share. The difference for their there passing, is for their passing offense. Right? For their passing offense. Yeah. For the, the difference there is Baker Mayfield's are like a bona fide veteran quarterback. How much more upside is there for Baker Mayfield as he's thrown to Mike Evans and uh, and and Chris Godwin, one of whom might not be back? Like you got to get you got to be really. You got to be really objective about, okay, just how much more can we take this? Just because they're way better than people expected doesn't mean that that's the answer. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll take it a step further with Baker, Seth, is that he's a veteran guy who's been in the league six years now. There's a better chance that the year he just had is some sort of outlier and he's going to regress than there is of any yeah. sort of growth from here. You know what I mean? Like, it, well, especially if Mike Evans is gone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For, well, and his OC is gone now, too. The guy, you know, they, they got to find a new guy to – to call plays in Tampa Bay because Canales took the took the Carolina job. I, I think you, you make a really good point about the just like kind of pumping the brakes on things. You know, to get excited obviously for the Texans, but as far as expectations go, the thing I go back to is, and I, I'll go back to throughout the the off season is the schedule. And I know the schedule can change. You know, teams that look really hard in in March can become different by the time September or October. Certainly when injuries roll around, especially at quarterback, that can change things. But, and some teams are just better. Like, some teams were penciling the Texans in as a win last year at this time, and they turn out to be 10-7. and seven. Some teams just turn out to be better than you think they're going to be. I would point out that as far as quarterbacks go, if you look at the quarterbacks the Texans faced this year when they went 10-7, yeah. and seven, right? They faced Lamar Jackson. I'm just talking regular season. They faced Lamar Jackson. They faced Joe Burrow. Those were clearly the two best. Depending on how you feel about Trevor Lawrence, he might be third. Baker Mayfield might be third. The version of Joe Flacco that you played in Week 16 might be third. I mean, those are three names. Lawrence maybe, but the other two you would have never thought that at the beginning of the year. The Texans next season, Seth, play... The four quarterbacks that got named to the Pro Bowl ahead of C.J. Stroud, C.J. was fifth. He was the second alternate. They play all four of those guys next year. They play Lamar Jackson. They play Patrick Mahomes. They play Tua, who I just called trash an hour ago. But nevertheless, that's a potent Dolphins offense they play. Um, They play Josh Allen. You want to go over the other side? They play Dak Prescott. They play Jordan Love, who both had really good seasons. Jared Goff. They play the Lions. Um... Aaron Rodgers is back. They play the Jets in New York again next year on sounds, that concrete turf. Sounds to me, Sean, like a good recipe for an MVP. Yes. Uh, you beat all these various teams. I, well, yeah. You, you had no, mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. And I'm not even like, like when I bring all that stuff up, it's not because I'm being pessimistic about it or anything. It's just as uh, I, I feel like it, it gives me a little edge as I start to think about the draft and free agency yeah. that it's not like, look. It's not it's not just like some luxury that you're tacking onto this team. It's that you've got to get to keep this going, you've got to get 
markedly better in at least a few areas. So yeah, like they've got to nail some of these draft picks. They've got to nail some of these free agency signings. One of the best stats in here that I really liked was uh, Nico Collins led the entire league with 399 receiving yards over expected. Yeah. So whatever his expected receiving yards were based on where he caught the football. And uh, like Cynthia used a lot of the GPS data. Yeah. So the, how many people were in proximity to Nico when yeah. he caught the ball? It was, this is all, this is a run after the catch stat. This is run after the catch combined with how many people did you have to bulldoze to get all of those yards after the catch? So that's, that meets the eyeball test. It's really, I mean, it's cool that he led the league in it. Yeah. He led the league. Yeah. Hell, he, he had three. The, I think you may have said it. Three hundred ninety-nine yards above expectations was the number. That's about what he got total in receiving each of his first two seasons. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, dude, Nico Collins, and he missed a couple games too in the season. You know, he, he finished with thirteen hundred yards receiving and eighty catches, and I think eight touchdowns, and he missed a couple of games. The other, season. the other. That's it all. It's also a testament to CJ's accuracy. Yeah. Because the yards after the catch come when. The ball's right out right in front there. of the dude. Yep. Yeah, and like uh, at his eye level or chest level, and he can just turn up and go. And and we saw that a lot with Nico. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about next year. Like I look at that schedule and I get excited about it because I think this team is is maybe not right now equipped. They need an off season. They need a good off season. But I feel like they're yeah. going to have a good off season. They got money to spend. They've got not a ton of draft capital like they've had the last couple of years. But they've got the appropriate amount of draft capital to make improvements in the draft. They're not yeah. missing a first round pick yet. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe plus, they make a trade or something. Sean, this is my favorite part of the year too. When uh, I start to watch some of the stuff on YouTube from like really smart people out there, but but sometimes I think they lose a little bit of perspective when I see things like the Chiefs showed the league how to beat Lamar Jackson, and uh, all you got to do. All you got to do is have some awesome pass rushers uh, and also the ability to play man and also the ability to uh, basically <laughs> do a lot of things that very few defenses are capable yeah. of doing. You know, like it's just, hey, rush five while you cover wide receivers with linebackers and do I like it's just they, a lot of the stuff the Chiefs did versus the Ravens. It's just it's yes, every defensive in the coordinator in the league knows how, that he can do that, yeah. or that he could he could scheme up the X's and O's. It's that Spagnolo does such a good job of getting it executed, and he has the talent to do it. Like yeah. Spagnolo is awesome, but it's not like it's not like he could like he does this every single year in the league. He's got an awesome defense. The, uh, that that would be like when I was a kid, Seth. When I was a teenager, I wanted nothing more than to be able to dunk a basketball. Yeah, like I wanted that. I wanted that more than I wanted a woman. I wanted to dunk a basketball. By God, well, that, because you dunk the basketball and then you get the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah one leads to the first, other. First in sure. America, yeah. First you dunk the basketball, then you then get the women. You get yes. the ladies. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to dunk a basketball like it was nobody's business, man, on a ten foot rim. And and you, if I were to see like an ad for something or an, or a headline for an article. Straight how shoes. to how to yeah. dunk a basketball? You know, th this is how you go ahead and dunk. I'd be like, okay, I click on this, jump higher. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. that's what that's that's what these people are with the Kansas City defense. We got They're the formula on how to shut down the Baltimore Ravens. How do you do that? Get Chris Jones, uh, the, yeah. the 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 uh, the Mc, the the Mc his name kid, the, the cornerback who's uh, who, who's a, who's an All Pro McDuffie, uh, Sneed. Go get Sneed. Assign uh, Justin Reed. Get a yeah. couple really good linebackers as well. Get Karloftis coming off the edge there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gets, that's good. <laughs> Menahu, yeah. That's all well, you got to do. Be, that was the whole, like, uh, Spagnolo yeah. Spagnolo uh, orchestrating. Beating, the, beating, the, beating Tom Brady is easy. All you have to do is yeah. uh, rush the passer with four defensive linemen. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I never – a football coach never thought of that before. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, oh, I'll just get the pass rush with four guys. And uh, and then that'll make it easier on the guys in the back end. Yeah. It's so simple. It's I just, can't believe I can't believe I can't. Nobody thought of that. How before. did I not think yeah. of this? Yeah, um, this is an interesting question. Uh, text page of uh, uh, six four five three. I hope I got that number right. I'm squinting. Um, when you're in the building and you know the players personally, can you get caught up in thinking you'll be okay, or will they be able to yeah. keep perspective and replace guys with better players? The pronouns I'm sure they're referring to are Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryan's. Will they? Yeah. Do you get too? Do you get too caught up in your guys in the building? I think that I think Bill O'Brien had that disease for certain guys. You know? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a matter of knowing your blind spots yep. and like a lot of, I like Nick's very well aware of that. You can tell just by the way he talks. Um, he's aware of bias and how it creeps in. And 
Like more and more in the NFL, you hear more personnel people talking about that. Like uh, almost like the same way hedge funds uh, or you know financial traders will will do the same thing. You got to know your blind spots. You got to know your weaknesses. You got to know the 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 fallacies and biases that everybody has. And that's probably one of the hardest things to do in in scouting and then in, in coaches too. You know, coaches especially fall in love with a guy or they know they can rely on a guy. And that's when scouts – that's when ideally scouts and coaches aren't going to see eye to eye. And a lot of times it's that the personnel guy just sees that a player has diminished – his skills have diminished. But the coach just likes the guy and feels like he can trust him. Like O'Brien felt about a lot of his guys. Yeah. That's when it's up to, that's why it's so hard to be a GM and a coach. Yes. Like that's why Belichick Belichick, like say whatever you want about him about not having Tom Brady or anything like that. He was able to both be a good coach on the technical side of things on the field, but then also divorce his emotions from it. And I don't think he I think it was pretty rare that Belichick made a decision based on emotions. Like Tom Brady for him was I think almost his I think it was like almost his personal test every year to to prove to himself that he wasn't going to get too wrapped up in an individual player. Yeah. And ultimately, ultimately it ended up maybe screwing them out of an extra Super Bowl or two, but they got six because of that strategy. Yep. So like, who's to say it was wrong? Absolutely. I, I, I think, I, I think my feeling is I think Nick Casario is appropriately dispassionate about yeah. connecting emotion. I think he connects emotionally with certain players with, with the players. Like I think he's friendly with them, I, but I think he looks at it through the right lens. And I think to D'Amico, cause they do collaborate on this stuff. I think D'Amico having not only been a player, but having been a player who's been through that sort of up and down. He was at the tippy top. He was a pro bowler. Then he yeah. tears the Achilles, comes back. He's in a scheme where he's not a real fit, so then he gets traded somewhere. And then at the end of his career, gets an Achilles again, and then his career's over a year later. I think the fact that he's been through that he's been looked at through that lens a couple times by GMs yeah. probably gives him a, a unique perspective that maybe a head coach who didn't play in the league, like O'Brien, may have had with players as well. I remember um, the the part of like Gary Kubiak that people people didn't realize existed when people would worry that he was too nice or what have you. I remember that first year Kubiak was there in 2006. He there was one day a few games into the season, and there was a there was an offensive player that felt he deserved more opportunities, and and Kubiak basically got up in the in the team meeting, and gave a speech about how like listen I really I want I I want the best for each and every one of you and I love you guys and I just I really want everybody to be able to thrive and I want to help you do that, but on game day, I he used more colorful language than this <laughs> on game day I do not give a damn. <laughs> about what your stats are or what your needs are or whatever. I care about winning the football game. Yes. And and basically, you know, it said a few more choice words, but I just remember him saying, I do not give a damn. Which is <laughs> true, you know, like I, I think it's that's like you always need to try to if you keep if you keep your eye on the prize, so to speak, mm -hmm. it's a matter of doing that and then that's how you you can ignore some of the personal feelings or, or loyalties, but then you also need people that can uh, cover your blind side and see see the things that you don't see. Yep. Um, text message, I think it's so exciting, the schedule they're talking about here, this texter, because instead of playing the NFC South with trap games, we get competitive games against the best. That's interesting because, yeah, they were 2-2 two and two against the supposedly the janky NFC South this year. I mean, they lost to Carolina and Atlanta on last-second field goals. They beat the Saints and the Bucks in yeah. close games. So this texture the Jets the trap games were just that's the that's the dose of reality you got to always remember like all right wait a second what the how the hell did this team lose to the Panthers and the Jets yeah and it wasn't I I would like you know it I'd be able to lie to myself a little bit if CJ had had a horrible like it had gotten concussed in the first quarter or something right um the fourth quarter <laughs> we lie to ourselves we maybe lie to ourselves a little bit when when we wonder whether CJ was already concussed going into that game yeah so maybe that was a little bit of it the um the Texans losing the way they did to the Jets made the petty cast that you and I did yesterday getting petty about the New York Jets 20 yeah. 22 percent less enjoyable it was still yeah. enjoyable I still love taking pleasure in other people's pain. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we were doing it for the Jets and Nathaniel Hackett, who schemed up that game for the Jets, it made it slightly less enjoyable. Felt like a movie where like the rich guy was making fun of the pool boy, but meanwhile the pool boy was having an affair with the rich guy's wife. There you go. It kind of exactly like he's like looking down on him, telling him like whatever. And yeah. Meanwhile, the pool boy's like, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sucker." <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Zach Wilson was sleeping with our wife. Yeah, that's you know what? That analogy holds up. Well, our moms. Bit. Yeah, moms. Zach Wilson was sleeping with our mothers. Our moms. Yeah. Yep. Um, coaching carousel has stopped. All eight jobs are filled. Did any of these guys, any of these teams do better than the Texans did last year with their hire of D'Amico Ryan's little report card action for you on the head coaching hires in the NFL is next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Payne and Pendergast with you. Well, you got you, got, you look like you got something on your mind, Seth. One of our we, we made a mention about strength shoes earlier on, and I, I don't think they sell strength shoes anymore. But um, kids, when we were kids in magazines, like especially it must have been like in Sports Illustrated and stuff like that, there would be these full page ads for these strength shoes. They were um, they were like really ugly sneakers. But with like a platform that extended out from underneath, from the, the ball of the foot. And it was supposed to train your calves. So you're supposed to do like these jumping exercises and everything. Yeah. If you've ever seen old episodes of Seinfeld, it's when <laughs> yeah. George, George, those are strength shoes. I don't think they call them by name in those. And um, yeah, one of our listeners said, we mentioned that. And somebody said, we were given false hope because of Spud Webb and those strength shoes that all of it's us could true. dunk. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I was saying in the previous segment, my dream as a teenager was to dunk a basketball. And it's true. Five foot six Spud Webb winning the dunk contest in 1986. And those damn strength shoes that were in big ads, little ads, all over the. Any magazine where there were a bunch of ads in the back, any sports yeah. magazine, add six inches to your vertical leap. I'm like, I need more than six, but I'm going to get close. I'm touching the net right now like as it is. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I get hit it with it. It is. You know what, though? I mean, that is, it's fun. Like, with or without the strength shoes, just like it, it takes a lot of jumping to get good at jumping. Yeah. If you want to get better at jumping, go jump a lot. That's right. I know my, my friends that were like, uh, like basketball and football players would always talk about how, like, yeah, you'd come out of football season. And like the, the guys who are the genuinely great athletes, they come out of football season. You think you're in great shape and everything, and you go out and try to and and and, and play basketball. <laughs> like you couldn't jump for crap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So stay away from the strength shoes, kids. That's the warning label on this segment I right will. here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they've got value. It's just they're not going to teach. You're not going to. You might dunk. You might be the guy that dunks. Maybe. But I would say just go out and just play a lot of basketball. You're five nine you, and white. You won't. I promise you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got the proof. I was in pretty That's good shape a, okay. back in the day. We need to. What's the shortest? <laughs> what? What's it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was sitting next to a guy on the plane last week, who he was a point guard at Illinois State. He was five foot seven, five foot nine. Right five now or nine. back in the day? No, back in the day. Okay. Um, and I talk, and I didn't get his name. I'm sure I could do the research, but yeah. Uh, I, it was funny. I was talking to him. I was like, "So, yeah." And and I did the, like he told me he was you know oh, he's a shooting guard actually. Okay. Um, wow. Okay. And I kind of like I, I was like I kinda, I had to bring it up. He didn't mention his height, but I could. I was sitting next to him. Yeah. I'm like, how, how how tall are you? Yeah. And um, and so I asked him like, "Do you have any stories about like coaches telling you?" that you were never going to make it because you're so short. He's like, yeah, I didn't play high school basketball because my, my flat, my coach, no just, way. It's not like I didn't make varsity. That's my coach cool just story. said I couldn't play basketball. Yeah. So we played AAU and ended up going to Illinois State. That's yeah. wild. Okay. That's a yeah. cool story. That's a cool story. Okay. So I'm looking, Seth, during the break, I jotted down the five hires from last year's coaching cycle. We finished up this year's coaching cycle, coach hiring cycle yesterday. Dan Quinn hired by the Washington commanders much to a collective yawn in Washington, it feels like, if not shaking fists in Washington. Very few smiles in Washington today over the Dan Quinn hire. These were the five hires from last year's coaching cycle. And my contention would be that D'Amico Ryans, on the day he was hired, I thought was the best hire of that coaching cycle. I thought it was an A. As we look a year later, is it still the best? And here are the five. Carolina, Frank Reich. Fired 11 games in. I think it's fair to say that one was an F in retrospect. Yeah. Um, Arizona, Jonathan Gannon. 
I think that's been a decent hire. I know they're four and thirteen, but I think they were a plucky four and thirteen. I think they're four and thirteen with the chance to improve if Kyler Murray gets his game together in twenty twenty four. Yeah, and I guess that's a, that one too. Like just as it will be with D'Amico Ryan's at some point, you almost can't grade the defensive coach until you either a win a Super Bowl or b like replace the, your offensive coordinator after he leaves. Yes, that's the first huge hurdle that a defensive minded head coach is going to face. Yep. Um, Indianapolis, Shane Steichen. Yeah, I got to give him a. I got to give him an A minus. Yeah, I don't know what the grade yeah. was the day he was hired, but it the grade now is better than whatever that was. That was a good hire. You know, the the terrible too is when you hire those coaches with some of those guys like with Shane Steichen, you don't know exactly who their quarterback's going to be. Now, having watched Shane Steichen work and work, they they worked the RPO a lot with Gardner Minshew. More than anybody, Gardner Minshew does yeah. not run like. Anthony Richardson. Yes. Now it all comes down to like, okay, just what is Anthony Richardson as a quarterback? But I, but he is like Shane Steichen is definitely the right guy to get the most out of Anthony Richardson. Denver, Sean Payton. Do we feel like Sean Payton? If you were doing a grade today versus what the yeah. grade was the day they hired him, higher or lower grade? Do you think? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. I, Very okay, tough. There's us. We had a grudge against Sean Payton. We did. We did. Yeah. For we, the information he was feeding Colin Coward, most likely, and everything else. Um, I would have to say you're you're at a uh, you're at a B with Payton right now because ultimately you got to find a quarterback. And I like he didn't. I don't know if anybody real. I don't know if anybody realistically expected him to salvage Russell Wilson. Yeah. And that's what it's going to depend on. I didn't. Um, so I'd give him a, a B minus right now. I, I think Sean Payton's done a masterful job of turning this past season yeah. into like a moot point, not not even a rebuild season, like a reset season for him to yeah. get Russell Wilson the hell out of the building and start to target his next quarterback. And it was uh, like they needed a definitive culture shift. I feel like they accomplished that. Maybe it was yeah. just it was a much cleaner football team. It didn't start out that way, yeah. but they were a much cleaner, crisper team than than a Nathaniel Hackett led joint. I think my overall feeling, and we're going to look at this this year's coaching class in just a second. But I think as we get to D'Amico Ryan's, the fifth of the five hires, boy, you got to feel great as a Texan fan. It was an A the day they hired him, and it feels like an A or an A plus now. That that hire has been a massive home run. D'Amico, D'Amico, the, the D'Amico Ryan's hire has been a yeah. huge home run for the Texans. I, 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 you you look like you too. look like you're thinking right now. I'm trying to think. This is what happens whenever I have to grade a bunch of people. Like as soon as you're done, you're like, okay, wait a second. I was too high on this guy, too low on this guy. Uh, the some of those B minuses I probably would have turned to B pluses because uh, D'Amico doesn't have anything to do with. Well, he has something to do with it, but. Some of it's just dumb luck as to what quarterback you get. Yeah. And yeah, that, that like, helped. <laughs> you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll admit you, that helped. Let's say, okay, let's say they had gotten Bryce Young instead of CJ Stroud. Yeah. And like, even if they had done better things with Bryce Young, I just, I have a like, it's very clear. The, the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that's glaringly clear without really looking at things too closely is that CJ just got such better mechanics. Yeah. And is just so much more technically pure than Bryce Young that like it's hard to think of Bryce Young stepping in and and getting a lot of the upper level stuff that CJ Stroud did so yeah I think I, I think if they had gotten Bryce Young instead of CJ Stroud this isn't even like a, a peeing contest between those two no. I think like like the ceiling for D'Amico may have been like a B plus I yeah. think the defense would have improved a lot but the offense Offense might have really struggled. The ceiling might have been seven wins or something like that. Are we still yeah. giving him an A if he gets seven wins on the season? Maybe not. That's a good. It's a big improvement. So, yeah, yeah, but but, but maybe Am not. I being too like, tough on hypothetical D'Amico. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how you get. That's how you raise good children. You're tough on your hypothetical. The hypothetical children. versions just, of them. Yeah. Just like a hypothetical parent I was in my mind. As much. <laughs> oh yes, I was still very strict. Day, very strict. Yes. Yes. Um. Who is the D'Amico Ryans of this coaching cycle in your mind, Seth? As you look at, I mean, I know there's eight teams here. Chargers with Harbaugh, Raheem Morris, Atlanta, Canales in Carolina, Gerard Mayo in New England, Brian Callahan in Tennessee. These are all the hires. Antonio Pierce getting promoted in Las Vegas. And then the last two, Michael McDonald in Seattle, and then Dan Quinn in Washington. Is there a D'Amico Ryans in terms of just a home run on this list that you see? Okay, you know, the interesting thing about this is D'Amico had become one of the darlings of the coaching search. He'd been, his name was out there. A lot of people really expected him to be a, a hot candidate. He was a hot enough candidate that there was 
broad skepticism around the league that he would even lower himself to interview with the Texans. That's right. Oh, why? Oh, yep. oh I turned my nose up at the Texans. So I don't know. Was there a guy that was quite like that? I mean, Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo is the first guy I would think of just because. Oh, okay, former player, defensive guy. Um, and yet, like all the enthusiasm for Gerard Mayo seems to have been generated by people who leaked information about Gerard Mayo. I'll tell you, uh, there's, there's an element to the Mayo hire that feels like Easterby is secretly in the building up in New England, where a lot yeah. of it is just like, he's just this amazing guy. And I know I know he's never coordinated a defense before, but he's just, yeah. I mean, it feels a little McCownish with with some with some years of experience. Mayo at least has been a position coach in the NFL yeah. for a few years before they promoted him, but it, it has that feel because I can't, I can't, the only comparison to me with Mayo and D'Amico Ryans is they were both high-level linebackers in the NFL at some point. D'Amico Ryans was a high, high-level coordinator and position coach. It's the, it the same, and, and real, I mean, let's step back a moment if you're in New England, and I'm sure multiple people up there have said this, but it's been proven that trying to hire out of the Belichick tree is a dicey proposition. They've doubled down on the Belichick tree oh, yeah. on this one. Yeah, It's... Uh, like, uh, like he both played for and coached for Bill Belichick. That's right. This is a Belichick tree hire, and Belichick tree hires don't work out. The <laughs> best guy by far has been Bill O'Brien. Some people argue if Mike Vrabel is in the Belichick tree. I say no way in hell because he wasn't like he, he didn't coach, coach for him. Belichick yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so okay, I'll leave Gerard Mayo playing for Belichick out of it. This is a Belichick tree hire. And O'Brien was the best of all of those. But let's remember, O'Brien had a lot of experience outside of the Belichick tree um, and had a lot of mentors in coaching, George O'Leary or, or whomever else. Sure. That, uh, the, and he still wasn't ultimately successful. Yeah, I would say, I guess Antonio Pierce, but again, I, I feel like it's a little bit of an insult to D'Amico yeah. to say Antonio Pierce just because he's a, just because he's a linebacker turned coach. Right. He didn't have that same success as a coordinator that D'Amico had. I think if we're just going based on like, okay, if the comparison is who's just the best hire, you know, forget about okay. their background or whatever. To me, it's Harbaugh. Yeah. But I'm an admitted, my blind spot is I'm a big sucker for the, this guy's been successful everywhere he's been and every stop he's been at. So yeah. he'll be successful there. It's why I wanted Urban Meyer for the Texans a couple of years ago. Like I'm, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I want the year that the Jags hired Urban Meyer, I wanted Urban Meyer for the Texans, and it was a disaster. So I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. I guess the difference with Harbaugh and Urban Meyer would be Harbaugh's actually had great success in the NFL before. With, with less talented quarterbacks than Justin Herbert, by the way. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see with Jim Harbaugh who – you know, you think about the last time he had a real, like a quarterback with a cannon of an arm where he could run. Like, Harbaugh loves to run old school. Like, when I say old school, I mean, like, plays out of the 1920s, yeah. uh, play action, yeah. and and then and throw it deep. And it's going to be interesting with, it's going to be interesting with the Chargers this year. Um, the other thing about Harbaugh is, I you know, I've always gotten the sense that people talk about how his, his personality starts to grade on people over time. It seems like that's much more about the other, I would say, quote-unquote, adults in the building, more so than the players themselves. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's oh, more yeah. of an issue for either uh, either executives or administrators yes. more so than it is with the players themselves. So I, a lot of this is going to be more on the Spanos family, I think, and how they... They kind of handle everything around Jim Harbaugh, but I, I think he's gonna. I think he'll connect. He's been connecting with college kids for the last decade. Yeah, I think he'll connect with young NFL players just fine. That's a really good point. I, yeah, it's fair to say like Jim Harbaugh has. It's been a decade since he's been in the NFL. He's probably evolved in multiple ways since then, yeah. right? And he's also, and it is like I, because I, I've seen some. I think there's almost a knee jerk like I don't know if he's gonna how he's gonna relate today's NFL players. He's been relating to today's college dude. Kids. Like he's already related uh, to these today's NFL players. Literally, and now in the NFL. literally twenty of the guys on the team he just coached to the national championship are going to be NFL players come April. Like Nico literally, Collins was related to by Jim Harbaugh. Yes, yes. just <laughs> fine, just fine. All right, Payne and Pendergast with you um, on a football Friday. We're headed to Vegas on Sunday. Yeah. And just one more thing about Jim Harbaugh sure. and Nico. There is that former player part of it too. I think you know different with side Harbaugh, of the ball, right. but it's weird. You know, I like. I feel like I, I told you this. I think like with um with uh when jeez, uh, Madden when Madden died, it was like a lot of a lot of younger people didn't even realize that Madden had been a coach in the NFL. Right. Um, 
or even a color commentator. Like some of them, the really young Some patriarch of a video game, yeah. I would bet the average 20-year-old NFL fan might not even realize that Jim Harbaugh was a quarterback. Played, and a decent quarterback, too. He had some good seasons in the NFL back in the the late 80s and the 90s, for sure. He was captain comeback for a little while. He was for the Colts, mid-90s, absolutely. Um, All right, um, top of the hour, we'll do the top 888. Hey, speaking of the draft, John Harris, who was at the Senior Bowl all week, is going to join us at 825, so we'll get some... Some uh, some Texans thoughts on maybe a few prospects, a few names to watch from John Harris, and just get general thoughts from Johnny on the draft coming up as well. He's the best when it comes to that stuff. He'll join us in the 8 o'clock hour. Up next, this Super Bowl is a rematch from one four years ago. Let's take this over to baseball. Astros have been in this spot four times against four different opponents. What is the sexiest rematch that you could see in baseball from the last 10 to 20 years, and how many of them involve the Astros? We'll get to that next. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, good to be with you. Rematch, Super Bowl rematch from four years ago, San Francisco and Kansas City. At that point, that was the toughest ticket or the most expensive get-in to the Super Bowl ticket until this year. It was over 6000 bucks to get into that Super Bowl back four years ago. This year, it's over, as of yesterday, over eight grand. If you Just to, to get s- in the door. Just to get in the door, and your team ticket? could potentially lose per ticket. Sixteen grand. Not if, you're, if you don't want to go set. by yourself. It's not a four pack for eight grand, well, and with a Coca Cola label or something. No. I know, but I thought. I mean, like I can't imagine. There's, n- you'd have to be pretty damn diehard to spend eight thousand dollars and go solo. Like that's a yeah, like that's your lifelong dream, or you're just. I mean, or you're really, really, really rich. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I um the, the uh, Sarah Pepper and Jesse Watt. I was on with them this morning on the morning mix, just talking about the Super Bowl a little bit, like just. Very yeah. surface level stuff. And we were talking about ticket prices and how hot this ticket is. And and Sarah said, like, boy, that must mean like, man, if you're paying eight grand, you just gotta be it must just all be really, really rich people that are there. And and I, yeah. I say you'd be surprised how many people now maybe Kansas City may not be a great example because they've been to a ton of Super Bowls the last few years. But let's yeah. take a Detroit fan, for example. And let's pretend Detroit made the Super Bowl this year. I bet there would be a lot of blue-collar Lion fans who feel like, I've been waiting 50 years for this. Yeah. I may never see this again. Yeah. I'm going to find the eight grand to be in the building. Results of the game be damned. Yeah, there are a lot of people that might max out their credit cards. That's exactly what I said to them. They'll max a credit card to go to the Super Bowl. Max out or take a cash loan out or whatever. Something. Yeah, they'll um, they'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's They offer that financing on your airline tickets now, too. Do they? Okay, well, yeah, there's a little tab you can get a. Uh, I can't. It's like one of those. Yeah, you can. You basically, you can. You're putting the flight on layaway, <laughs> but you're taking the flight. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I had a point. You can finance your air travel. Sean. Yeah, yeah. Right there, boom. Boy. So I think that's how it works. I don't I, know. I'd have gone into even more debt back in the day visiting my kids when they were much younger, <laughs> living in Chicago. Uh, I knew I, think, that, uh, I knew they could do that. Well, you know, the I went the biggest like playoff game that I went to by myself was when I happened to be in Seattle when the Astros were playing the Mariners. That's right. Yeah. And I went by myself there and I spent a pretty good chunk of change there um to go and I enjoyed I enjoyed my I like really enjoyed myself being there by myself. Like I sat I was lucky enough to sit by some really cool people, you know, Mariners fans that like knew actually knew a lot about the Astros and um so like that was cool. But yeah, so I could I could see a lot of people just especially if they they're lifelong Fans of the team going for by themselves for that much. Was that the Pena game? The Pena home run, eighteen inning game. The yes, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. So you got game. your money's worth for that one. That mm-hmm. was. Good. It's like you got two games. That was great. Yeah. Um, well, so, I had to remember. I had to leave early. Oh, okay. I would say it was. Uh, it was pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal. <laughs> I, had to, I had to leave in the tenth inning. I was. And there uh, were still eight more innings to go. <laughs> you yeah, didn't know at yeah. The time. I, I wasn't. I was never. I had no plans. I, the the trip had been planned months before, and it just so happened that that's who they the, the Astros are going to play in the <laughs> yes. playoffs. So I had a very very hard appointment that I had to it. get to, and it sucked. It was the worst I've ever felt leaving a game. Yeah, because it was, um, it was in the tenth inning, and I was like, I was sitting, I was sitting in the, the way they have it set up there. I was able to leave over this walking bridge right over to the garage that yeah. goes right to the same level I was parked on. So from the time I was sitting in my seats to where I decided, like, I just have to leave now, I was out on the... So I went from, like, the club level, which is, like, up in the upper, you know, upper decks there. 
I was on the road in like 90 seconds. Oh, wow. I like walked out across the bridge yeah. and then like down, I guess probably more like two and a half minutes and then down a completely empty, a completely empty parking lot out onto an empty highway and I was gone listening on the radio Off while, the while I drove to Spokane in shame. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Missed a moment. That, that, that uh, was out. I was at stadium. Did you like Seattle? Was it cool? I liked it a lot, except the one thing I, I, I still to this day, I, I'm convinced that the reason there was no offense in that game was because the smoke from the wildfires was pretty bad. <laughs> oh, that's right. And the roof, there's, the yeah. roof was open, and you could like you really couldn't see all that well. Yeah. I think it, I think it affected the guy's perception of the spin. Could you smell the smoke? Like, was oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was horse. I was really horse yeah. by the end of the trip there. September in the Pacific Northwest, there's still. Like that's the fire season, I think. Okay. So it's still it's still dry. The rains haven't come yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's dry and hot, and uh, you get some wildfires. So in baseball this century, since 2000, there's only been one rematch of a World Series. There's only been there's only been one time or one matchup that we've seen more than once. It was the Red Sox in 2004 against the Cardinals, and then they played the Cardinals again nine years later. So really just a, other than David Ortiz really just a rematch in terms of uniforms. I I doubt there were many guys, you know, unlike this Chiefs Niners matchup where there's still some major players involved in this game that were involved 4 years ago. But it's interesting Will Leach who writes for MLB.com in the spirit of this rematch between the Niners and the Chiefs, which is a pretty sexy rematch, you know, if you take out the emotions of for me at least hating the Chiefs and not really being a Niners fan, like it's there there's a lot of fun aspects to this matchup which we'll be digging into all week next week he ranked the potential world series rematches for this coming season from this century that we've not seen yet but could see in terms of which ones he would most want to see three of the top four seth involve the houston astros three of the top three of the top four out of 22 or whatever it is you know however many world series there have been in this century um Astros versus Dodgers in 2017 is number one on the list, yeah. and I feel yeah. like that is one that is a sellable, sellable matchup if you're Fox and you Super carry that. sellable. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The only the only thing that I wouldn't like about that would be just they'd have no choice but to bring up the being better than everybody else scandal yeah. over and over and yeah. over again. It would uh, the you'd have to stay off social media the whole time because uh, it would just be so, every. You know the worst part about it would be Sean, the jokes. Like those same six jokes yeah. that were told over and over again, there would be a whole new crop of people that thought that they were creating new jokes yep. about uh, about trash cans and whatnot. So yeah, that's the part. I but I but ultimately, if it ended up with the Astros beating the Dodgers, sweeping them probably, then it would all be worth it. Obviously, I'll give Will Leach credit here. He says there will be many 2024 preseason predictions that will include this very matchup in the yeah. World Series, and that's true. He said, don't let any lingering controversy about this Astros team distract you from how great the 2017 version actually was. The, yeah. only, the only bummer was the Game 7 was the least exciting one of the seven games those two teams played. This year was also the start of the Astros' active streak. When he says this year, he means back in 2017. 2017 was the start of their streak of consecutive yeah. appearances in the ALCS. Well, no, and honestly, when he even when he says that right there, when he talks about, uh, like, well, he didn't say how great the 2017 Astros were, but they were. And like realistically, the only reason that Fires and everybody else was still like the, the only reason that the being better than everybody else scandal ever happened was that the Astros kept being so damned good offensively that by 2019, people were convinced that they must be doing that thing that so many other teams were also doing in 2017. They thought that, oh, everybody got the memo and the Astros were the only team that didn't stop. Like, no, they were just that damn good at that point. They, they'd already, sh the, the, yeah, that's, uh, so I don't need to relitigate all that stuff. Yeah. Damn it. Number two on the list was uh, Braves versus Astros. So Astros-Dodgers won, Braves-Astros two. They met in 2021. Unlike the Dodgers series, the Astros lost that one. Um, at many points yeah. during the regular season, the last two years, it looked like this is the matchup we would get. It may look that way at several points this year as well, is what he says. 2021 still feels I don't. It's weird. It feels like a dream to me. There's just something about it being against the Braves and the way everything happened that I. Uh, that's a. a like all, and I would include just even the the ALCSs and various other ones. That's the one that I feel like I didn't really live through. I'll tell you why. Yeah. By the time the World Series, hell, by the time the NLCS rolled around, or ALCS, I should say, 
Um, you were operating without you operated without Justin Verlander all year. That was the year yeah. he was out with Tommy John. Yeah. And by the time you got to the ALCS, you were operating without Lance McCullers as well. He got knocked yeah. out in that Chicago ALDS. So you're and Fromber hadn't really become Fromber yet. Fromber didn't become Fromber until 2022 with all the quality starts in a row. So mm. that to me is when I think back to that postseason, I think back to just kind of piecing it together with some Jose Urquidy here and some Framber Valdez there. And yeah. And um and so that that for me, I'm with you. Like that that postseason feels a little strange. That's probably why for me. Um these other fan bases, they don't know how good they have it to not to to what it's like to lose entire World well, Series in the shuffle. Yeah, of, uh, yeah. of uh, you know, like to, 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 to have to try to keep the dude. details from uh, from year after year after year of ALCS oh. games straight in your head. It's hard. You know hard. how long it takes to sit down and compare seven consecutive trips to the <laughs> ALCS? It is time consuming, man. It is because even like Chiefs fans don't understand or realize. Like it's basically five to seven times as much mental work for us yeah. as it is for a Chiefs fan. Sure, Chiefs fans might get a little bit confused more so than their usual state of confusion uh, about like which which AFC championship game it was or yeah. was not. Where we're looking at, you know, seven game series all over the place that yep. you gotta keep track of. Um so uh Astros versus Phillies is fourth on the list. Astros versus Phillies fourth on this on this list right here uh, for um, for uh, the rematches we'd like to see. I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch with the Phillies. That was fun. That that was the fan base going against us that had the most juice for sure. Uh, uh, Astros-Phillies. That was a Mattress Mac almost got into a brawl at their stadium out there in Philly. Mattress Mac and um, Kate Upton, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it turns out that Kate Upton was just having fun with that fan. I don't mm. know if we ever made an on air uh, correction about that. Remember the, yeah. the fan that she flipped off? I do. I do. And uh, yeah, like she was, she was just having a good time because her, cause her husband, remember, had flipped off a fan a couple days earlier. Coming and off it was the like, bus. Was, was having a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one, even Philly fans, Philly fans tried to get triggered about that. And like other Philly fans uh, stepped in and were like, hey, yo, uh, look, this is Philly. Like, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's obviously having fun with it, and let's not pretend that we're going to get all up in arms anyways, even if he was serious in Philly, about somebody flipping off somebody around a, a professional sporting event. Um, getting a lot of texts from the previous segment where we were talking about the coaching carousel this year and last year and kind of comparing it. Um, you guys give Peyton that high of a grade as a head coach? What do we What do we give him, Seth? What'd I you thought give him? I gave him a B-. minus. Yeah, yeah. Um, you give him that high of a grade even though they had to give up picks. They had to trade picks to get him. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, I guess I'm just grading the performance itself, I've not forgotten. the compensation. Like, I don't, if I had all of their contracts out in front of me to see exactly how much they were getting paid as well, then maybe we would uh, skew it. But you got to remember that we don't know that part of it. Yep. So, I, yeah, like the best budget, if we, if we factor in trade picks given up and how much you're actually paying them, I don't know. Maybe yeah. one of those other guys would have been the. I'm winner. purely looking at his performance as a head coach this past yeah. season, which I thought was okay. You know, there were, it was a bad start. He righted the ship, and then it was a bad finish. And I think I think Sean Payton got what he wanted out of this season was to get the hell out of the Russell Wilson business. If you want my opinion on it, um, if you're a team that t- if you take a team that's an abomination and take them to eight wins, then there you go. Yeah, that's what that's what they were. To that end, I know it's not Texans related. This is a text message, but how are the Broncos going to get out of Russell Wilson's contract? They're going to cut him and bad. take the hit. <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad like is it like for a long time it seemed almost impossible. Now it's like it's very uncomfortable, but it's not impossible. It's it's it, well they have to do it as a post June 1st one so they can spread yeah. the hit out over 2 years. That's I don't yeah. want to get too cap nerdy on the whole thing. Yeah. If they just cut him today, it would be like an $80 million hit. But if they do it at designated as post-June 1st, they can split the hit up over two years, which isn't ideal. Um, and it just goes to show you how bad that trade – I mean, that is that is one where I do factor in what they traded. If you look at that, like, yeah, he was a bad player, and they're taking a huge cap hit, and they basically with that trade kept Seattle relevant. Yeah. <laughs> with all those right, picks. right, yeah. If we're grading Sean Payton – you have to look at the degree of difficulty to get where they were. And they probably, like, if they had kept Russell Wilson <laughs> engaged, they might have won nine games or so. Like, I, I look at that first year as, all right, did you make improvement and what are your constraints? And really with Denver, I, like, I think Peyton got a long, long contract partly because he expected, I mean, 
one because you could get it, but also two because uh, I don't. I I very much doubt that he thought Russell Wilson was going to be the answer. Yeah, and I think he knew that they were going to have to take a year or two to kind of reset everything. So to actually improve on your on your win total, like what am I going to give him a C for improving? Yeah, I feel like you got to get you got to get up into the B's if you improved the fortune of the team in one year. Yeah. Um. Will we feel the same text message? Will we feel the same about D'Amico next year? If the Texans go say six and eleven or seven and ten with the tougher schedule, no, we- I want him fired. <laughs> I have to know how it looks. You know, like that's yeah. I. I'm, I can tell you right now, if they go seven and ten next year, like I don't care if CJ Stroud's healthy for seventeen games. I'm not going to be calling for D'Amico Ryan's head or anything like that. I, I I can't envision a scenario after two years where I'm asking where I'm I'm coming in here and sitting down and saying the Texans need to get rid of D'Amico Ryan's as a head coach. Right, it would have to be a really sloppy affair, yeah. Um, or that like there'd been all kinds of just a complete lock, la- loss of discipline or something, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the the obviously the honeymoon would be over for sure. Then it would become we wouldn't be we wouldn't be calling for D'Amico's head, but we would be talking about the possibility of calling for D'Amico's head uh, the next year. If they didn't turn it around from seven and nine. We would be doing or it. you know or Casario Casario would end up getting the would become I don't want to say scapegoat whatever like uh, hot seat. He would have the hot seat yeah. first, yeah, before D'Amico, depending on exactly how everything was. Yeah, because unless I mean, unless there's a major injury involved, if they're seven and ten next year, it'll get blamed. If I had to guess, bl- just thinking blindly right now, it'll get blamed on they didn't do enough during the off season to to build on what they did in 2023. I'm, yeah. Like I'm purely guessing what the storyline would be, but that's the most likely storyline is they you know they don't. The, the things that need to get fixed don't get fixed. They well, got to like, fix the running game. You know, they got to fix other I mean, things. I think so far with D'Amico, the biggest thing I think is the things that immediately, like think about Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. It was they were so sloppy. Like you could just watch when the Texans played them. When any other team watched the Broncos, even if the Broncos won, when Nathaniel Hackett was the coach, you're looking. You're like this. There's like these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, this is a clown show out there. And they're just managing to win because they've got enough good players to string together a few good plays here or there. But it was just an absolute mess from a game management perspective, discipline, all that stuff in Denver. I have a really hard time seeing that out of a D'Amico-led team, given how clean everything was this year. It just, you know, with everything being new. So I, if they go seven and nine, seven and ten next year, yeah. Um, then I, yeah, I, I doubt there'd be many calls for it. But yeah, it definitely puts you in that, like, oh, okay. We've we've hit some adversity. Let's yeah, see how we respond. Yeah, yeah, yep. No, no question. All right. Um. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for Week Number One. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 